0: what is up kangaroo chasers and this week i'm talking to our man rob bergen you've heard him on the pod many many times i'll give you a couple of episodes in case you want to go back and have a listen he was all the way back on episode 43 the latin godfather still actually one of our top maybe 15 episodes and it was all the way back in episode 43. So absolutely fantastic. It was in a few others as well, guys, but uh, jump into the back catalog as always check it out. Uh, but Rob Bergen, uh, he is football manager for Brazil rugby league. Uh, still keen to get the women's side over there for the 2021 world cup. He's founder of Latin heat. He's done a whole bunch of other things with QRL and other things as well. But, um, a legend of the sport at this level, at that international, part of that international rugby league community. And, you know, he and I have been firing off all sorts of things on Twitter, social media, based on some things that Phil Gould has been saying about international rugby league and the world cup and yada, yada, yada. And I just uh, thought I'd give him a call and say, hope you're going okay, mate. And uh, if you want to get anything off your chest, let's talk about it and let's record a podcast. And that's what we did. So you're going to hear the phone call. Uh, between myself and Rob, just chatting about things, rugby league in general and, you know, what's wrong with the game, NRL versus international and what needs to change and what can change and what should be done and what's not been done. And it's just a, I can't even describe the episode. I don't know how I'm going to write a description about it. It's so, um, there's just so much discussion and I love talking to Rob, he's a very knowledgeable, great guy and, um, you know, the one thing for me is that uh, as an international rugby league fans community, we need to come together. Uh, and stay strong and keep fighting um, because you've got a beautiful sport and there needs to be more to it than NRL, that's for sure. So, guys, um, let's get straight to it. Big thanks to Matt Haynesport, our sponsor, matthaynesport.com.au. If you need a logo jersey designed for your rugby league club at any level uh, or any other sport, um, then matthaynesport.com.au. If you want to get him produced, let him know you're a kangaroo chaser for 10% off as well. Matt, we love you, mate. Thank you for your support. Of course, ChasingRoos.com, joint international rugby league kit, uh, jerseys from anywhere around the world. We've got quite a few places covered and we're trying to build that up and we're doing that with your support. We're getting new nations all the time and getting our USA Hawks gear soon, for example, and we've got so much great stuff there. So check it out if you haven't already, ChasingRoos.com, uh, we ship everywhere in the world uh, and right now While Sydney is in lockdown, we've got a lockdown special just to support Sydney. Uh, Lockdown 15 is the 15% discount code, so check it out, chasingroos.com, and use that discount code, lockdown15, for 15% off worldwide, anywhere. Um, Guys, enough from me. Now let's go straight to the phone call with Rob Bergen. I'm Michael Carboni. This episode 123 of the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. (coughs)
1: rugbyway fans hi mate
0: Hey, mate, how you going? Yeah, good. Is that line okay? Perfect, man. Perfect.
1: Yeah, I'm only getting about half bars here, so.
0: Mate, that's okay. That's pretty good, mm-hmm. actually. <laughs> <I'm>, uh, <laughs> there's a joke there, but I'm going to yeah. leave it alone. Um, <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> what's happening, mate? How have, have you been? I've, I've only seen uh, angry tweets from you, and, and you've probably only seen the same from myself, so I hope you're okay.
1: Uh, yeah, mate. Uh, as I say, you should be charging a psychologist fee for <laughs> the next couple of hours. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, let's let's get straight into it, man. Because, like, I've been mainly firing shots at Gus Gould um, on Twitter, which a lot of our uh, listeners have been quietly like cheering on in the background, and, and I notice you've been doing the same. And I thought let's have a chat about it. But, man, I, I don't even know where to begin because, like, the last few weeks have been insane. Uh, but I think where I should start and then just let it flow from there is, Gus made a comment that the NRL should run international rugby league, and I won't say everything that he said on the tweet, but that was the the crux of his comment. Uh, what do you think, mate, of that,
1: mate? I think I've probably um, i I've, I've calmed a little in the sense that, um, yeah, I don't I don't want to demonise Gus. I think it's really easy to play the man and not the ball. Yep. Um, and I think there's probably an element of truth to what Gus said, but if only if you twist it, you know I think when they say they should run the, um, the international rugby league, like, I think it should be they should have a responsibility towards international rugby league. Um, and it's true that they, they have the power to influence and, and change things, but um, it should be, should be changing it for the better. Uh, and you know it's, it's the same position. Um, you know if I'm walking along the street, and someone asked me if, you know, I've got $2 to, to lend them. But I don't need to, um you know, I don't need to dismiss them straight away. I I can help them in, in other ways as well. You know, I don't think that, um you know, the countries, the International Rugby League, just want to be treated with a, a little bit of respect more so than than anything. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm kind of coming at it from a few different angles at the moment. And, and I'd like to add that. You know what? Whatever I tweet out is pretty, um, it's pretty premeditated anyway. I can, I can kind of gauge what response it's going to get, and I, I keep my powder dry for the, the times that you need to uh, get a bit of controversy going.
0: Oh, well, I know that everything you say has a lot of thought put into it, and and it's it's very obvious, mate. And knowing you for the last couple of years as well, I, I know the type of guy you are. You're, you're one of the smartest operators in rugby league. I've got to say. Um, which may not be a difficult thing, but you're up, you, you are up there. <laughs>
1: Some people would say if I was one of the smartest, I wouldn't be here.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Exactly. But I, I'm, I'm with you. And look, there's no doubt the power of the NRL, and there's no doubt the importance of the NRL. It's mm-hmm. the greatest rugby competition in the world. And you know yourself, like rugby league, like you've got a lot to do with Brazilian rugby league, obviously, right now. Brazilian rugby league probably wouldn't be a thing if it wasn't for the NRL because. Not because of anything the NRL have done, but consequently because they were, you know, Sonny Bill Williams was noticed as an NRL player, for example, and that's sort of how things got initially started over there in Brazil. So, just by... Yeah, and and,
1: I mean, also the coordination of of them previously having Taz Bateri, who was an NRL employee. So, um, without his presence, who knows what would be happening in South America, but... that's that's probably one of the points we'll address as we chat.
0: Well, let's do that. I'm glad you mentioned Taz because one of the things that Gus said, and I won't talk too much about Gus, but one thing he said was the NRL don't really understand International Rugby League, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, probably one of the reasons for that is, you know, they had a guy like Taz Beateri working for them not long ago, and he was sort of made redundant uh, during this thing called COVID. And, um, I kind of feel like it was a numbers game. Like, I don't think they, they looked at a list of names and said, yep, we'll get rid of Taz. It was kind of like, let's get rid of this international rugby league side of things. And I, I just feel like that we're in a position now where if international, if, if the NRL was run by international rugby league, I just don't feel like the, the brains are there for international rugby league. They don't understand. I don't think the NRL realizes, for example, what you're doing in Brazil. They don't understand that that even exists. Is that could, Would I be right in, in saying that?
1: oh yeah, I've I've had that exact conversation with people inside the NRL this year where they've said, I didn't realise that there was rugby league in Brazil. And I mean, even laughed in the sentence. So um, yeah, it's not a far-flung idea to think that they don't have any idea what's happening over there.
0: It's so funny because I always joke around and say um, people that listen to Chasing Kangaroos understand more about rugby league around the world than like 99% of NRL fans, but it's probably also... Than 99% of people within the NRL. Like, it's it's that insane. But mm-hmm. um, tell me a little bit then about maybe some of the conversations you have had with the NRL. So I understand you had, you wrote a big piece on Twitter as well, on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter, and it was all, it was ended up being shared all over the place. But um, conversations you've had with the NRL asking for assistance. And so tell us about some of those things and what those conversations were like and, you know, what what were the kind of things that you reached out for or needed help with, in particular with Brazil?
1: Yeah, I think it's important to, to say from the outset that I wouldn't be shooting my lip off uh, if it was, you know, an isolated experience or it was over a short period of time. Yeah. But I've been, you know, doing the Latin American Rugby League for eight, nine years now. Um, and over the last five years in particular, um it's, it's been really hard to get cooperation on even the small things. And Gus kind of came back and, you know, was talking about, well, you know, this would require X amount of co- coordination, etc. A lot of it is simply about things that could be solved with an email. And yeah. that's the main thing that really um, bugs me. And some of the things, you know, I, I previously worked with the QRL. I know how quickly you can achieve some of these things if you just want to do it. So things like trying to find players of a certain heritage on the NRL database. Now, you can't contact them directly because of privacy issues, but you can identify them. And the situation for us to find players of, you know, certain ethnicities, eight to nine years ago, it was actually easier than it is now, which is insane. Like that process, NRL stores all the heritage data of every player um, that that is within their competitions. Um, the Way of sharing it, or even just them mailing out to those people and saying, Are you aware that XX opportunity exists? blah blah blah. There's so many people out there that don't even know, um, that they have an opportunity to play representing rugby league, yeah. And that, that's that's the thing that really hurts because one of the things I've seen with our sport, well, with that with our teams, especially across Latin America, is there's a lot of guys going towards the end of their career, you know, 30 plus. And they're struggling to find a reason why they should be around rugby league, whether that's to stay as a coach or a volunteer or, you know, play on. Um, and international rugby league, the chance to represent say a Peru or a El Salvador has kept them in the game another 10 years or so. Um, and what they've been able to do is foster a sense of like cultural identity within their community and then take that and, start you know, benevolent projects overseas, etc. And, and suddenly these are guys who are just weekend warriors who've found a whole sense of fulfilment and been able to grow the game internationally. But we've got this massive roadblock where we'll you know, write to the NRL and say, um, we've got such and such a, a test match coming up. Um, we would you know, like to know what female players or male players of this certain heritage are on the database. And then we used to have cooperation on that all the time. Now, yeah, just don't hear back anymore on things like that. So for me, it's it's really disappointing because the difference that one or two players, and I'm not talking about flooding your team with, with heritage players and making it all about Australians, Yeah, but the difference that one or two guys who have, you know, Australian coaching um, background in the sport can make to a, uh, you know, a developing nation is huge and, for them, it seems like a drop in the water or a pain in the butt to search for these things. But I honestly know from doing it myself that you can do it in two minutes and it makes, you know, it can make years of difference to how a, a nation progresses in the development phase. So <laughs> that's yeah. a, real, a very long answer, but it's that's one of the easiest ones for me to identify where just a simple change of attitude, where at the moment it's couldn't be bothered, that's too much effort. If you could go that extra extra step, the benefits that the sport as a whole gets from it and retaining people in Australia where, um, you know, the number of senior male rugby league players has been just declining and declining for the past 15 years. uh, We're not finding ways to combat that. And I honestly believe that making more of fanfare about international rugby league and cultural rugby league is one of the avenues that we have that hasn't been exploited or explored to keep people within the game as as long as they really could be,
0: it's the beauty of Australia is that everyone you meet comes from somewhere. Where you know what I mean? There's everyone's got some sort of background, some sort of heritage, some sort of culture. Everyone you speak to, and yep. you know the the longer things go, the more different types of heritage people have, and it sort of gets mixed up. And but it's it's a beautiful thing. And um, it's funny what you said about the heritage plays. We always say the the one of the biggest arguments we have is always around, you know, what's that magic number for heritage players? And and, you know, should you have a full squad? Should you have eight? Should you have two? You know, what's that magic number? And there's no real magic number, but what you did hit the nail on was um that those Australian coach players are you know sort of what you want in your team at the moment and and over time you don't want to have to rely on those but even speaking to i've been speaking to a couple of guys around um the png Hunters system and you know hunt like png is you know rugby league is religion over there mm. and but when you look at the raw talent that comes into that hunter squad and and, and they can make it all the way like justin Ollam, for example is one that we keep bringing up but they just want to like run fast, bash people and, and play like old school footy. But what the hunters are trying to do is get a couple of like PNG heritage boys who've, um, who've been grown up and trained in Australia, the Australian way, just to sort of give them that sort of balance and stability and sort of teach the other guys, you know, a little bit of structure and things like that. And, and in time you won't need that, but it's really important right now. And you, and you probably get that in your Brazilian squad you get that everywhere. You know, it doesn't matter where you go, you're going to get that. So it is important. Mate, well,
1: yeah, like a, a prime example I can think off the top of my head is, is Sean Olate or Sean Day, um, yeah. as most people know him from Peru. He's like, he's been the captain, the big front rower. Um, and Sean, you know, was identified and, and he was towards the end of his career, wasn't really sure what he wanted to do with the sport. Since then, he's probably, through his his business, Shield Security, is probably yeah. the second biggest investor in. Latin American nations, like in terms of sponsorship, over the past 10 years outside of a, a multinational in Guzman and Gomez. Yeah. So, Sean has not only sponsored Peru and played for Peru and gone over to Peru and developed the sport there, he's sponsored El Salvador, he's sponsored Chile. He went to, um, you know, the America's Cup in, in Jacksonville to support Chile when they were playing over there. Um, you know, he's, he's sponsored Brazil, he's basically you know, put his hand in his pocket for everyone. And th- these kind of people are the ones that save the International Rugby League or the other yeah. leagues having to spend money. Like, they're actually propping them up. And Lord knows we need, we need more and more businesses and individuals that, you know, are, are inclined that way.
0: Especially now as league players are earning more and more, which is fine, but they're also getting into business. Like, you see players sort of, you know, using their profile for... for for profit, which is also fine. And after their careers, they, they're really, you know, you've got players owning cafes and and um, T-shirt brands and just all these different things, right? So, you know, you eventually they're going to say, hey, I want to kind of give back to rugby league. And if, you know, there's a heritage they love, then there's something there as well in it. So everything sort of compounds over time and grows. Um, there, there's, I wanted to go back to what you were saying about how re- it seems like a recent thing that, the NRO don't seem to be cooperating in terms of heritage. Why is that? Is it because guys like Taz aren't there anymore, or is it something else?
1: Yeah, I think it's partly that. I think it's partly because we, as we spoke before, I don't think the knowledge base of what's happening at an emerging, um, emerging nations level is there. I think a big reason, you know, that we might explore later is that emerging nations have very little say or representation um, in the process. And then for me, probably a more more worrying trend which i you know half suspect half know to be true is that there is a there is a much bigger rift between the southern hemisphere and the northern hemisphere than anyone would really like to admit yep. in rugby league and i've sat in you know and you're probably the same because you're very connected with rugby league but I, the the further and further i kind of have got closer and got to know people the more that i think that animosity is 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 kind of a bit getting a bit childish and really hurtful to the sport. Yeah. The degree that, you know, you can sit in a room with the people from Northern Hemisphere and anything to do with Southern Hemisphere or heritage players from Australia is, you know, is complete hogwash. And, you know, by the opposite token, if you sit in a room with people from Southern Hemisphere and talk about what's happening in the Northern Hemisphere, then, you know, automatically they don't know what they're doing, et cetera. And I think we all have times when we express our frustration, but the point that it's got to um on an international scale in the north versus south has got to a point where it almost needs like a marriage counselor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 very hurtful and I think people got so far involved in it that they don't they don't recognise that anymore. Like how how we're holding back the sport.
0: That's never been more apparent to me, um, because of the World Cup where and like as you said, I'm I'm quite connected in the international rugby league community. I speak to everyone and everyone that I speak to from the Northern Hemisphere has been telling me for the last 12 months, the world cup's on it's happening. Mm -hmm. It has to happen. It's really important. And everyone I speak to involved in nations in the Southern Hemisphere saying, Oh, we don't think it's going to be on. It's not going to be that safe. I don't think we should do it. Like, do we really need to do it? Can't we postpone it? And just the, the complete difference. I'm, I'm just astounded. I've, I've gone like, are you people not speaking to each other? Because I'm hearing 100 percent different things from everyone on either mm-hmm. side of the of the hem, of the, the hemispheres, I guess. And and it's really just surprising to me. And just to hear some of the comments on Twitter most recently about you know uh, you know like people from England complaining and whinging. And it's not just that. It's not that. Like we're Aussies and we're sort of complaining and whinging about it too. But if anything, I do think. One thing that I've been saying for a number of years is I think England has been, from on an international level and probably on their club level as well, they've been too reliant on on Australia and New Zealand, uh, way too reliant. And I would have loved to have seen more investment in France and Wales in particular and more of their neighbours because if the Super League was stronger and if their neighbours were a little bit stronger on an international level, they probably wouldn't care if Australia and New Zealand weren't coming to the World Cup. Yeah. So maybe that's the lesson learned now and is it too late or, or can anything be done? I don't know. Um, but, man, you're, you're totally right about that, that divide.
1: I, yeah, I think one of the things we also see a lot on social media is people saying, you know, the the IRL haven't invested into that or the IRL isn't doing that. Like, yeah. I think, and I, I used to get this wrong all the time as well myself, you know, probably for the first five years I was involved with with developing nations is thinking of the IRL as some all powerful being in the sky when yeah. really the you, the IRL is like a, a, a community, like a, like a cooperative, yeah. you know, they, they don't have a lot of ma- money. They don't have a lot of power. And a lot of that is because of like part things in the past, uh, you know, the people that are sort of at the moment, are having to clean up what, what they were handed. Um, yeah. So it's not really their fault. You can't, you can't say, look, they've done a terrible job because they weren't given anything to start with and it's really hard to build something with nothing in your hands. Um, so I think, you know, international fans around the world need to look at, you know, the the IRL as kind of like a union that represents all the countries and brings them together and steers them, you know, in a direction towards something. It's not someone that's going to rock up and, you know, give you $100,000 and say, here, build your competition. Yep. You've still got to do that yourself and then use the power of the IRL to come together on collective matters and bring us together. So again when the NRL says it's not in our charter to develop overseas, yeah it's it's not directly but again if I'm if I'm the richest person on my street and I just ignore everyone else what kind of human person does that that make you you yeah. know? And a lot of the things that I'm saying again you know coaching materials etc that, that takes you, you know, a couple of minutes to attach it to an email and press send. It's not It's not like we're saying here, we want $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 off you all the time. I don't think the people who've been playing this game, you know, for a while, that's not the way they they operate. They know that it all just comes down to resource sharing and being considerate of each other. And one of the first things that I wrote in that that post on Facebook was about being told, no, we won't share our coaching resources with you because that's our intellectual property yeah and i think that's that's such a like an evil (laughs) corrupt way to look (laughs) at developing a sport like um you know let's say for example in in brazil i go out and develop a coaching course and then paraguay comes to me and says hey rob we've we're really starting from scratch i could use that coaching course then 100 percent, i'm going to give it to them like i'm there's no way that I would even think of holding the bat. And we already know within, you know, Latin America, all the countries yeah. share resources like that. And the thing that really annoys me about that is you've got people down there getting paid a hell of a lot of money to, to um, promote and produce all of these different materials. And then what happens is you turn around and say, no, we're not going to share it with you. So there's a guy that's, you know, in the middle of Chile who's earning $5,000 a year, and he has to go and spend you know, whatever it is, four hours, five hours a night, building all these resources with Scratch with nothing to work from. And it could all be solved by shooting him something over. But it's that that non-consideration of the humane factor of it. And that's the bit that's really starting to eat away at me. It's not about the money. It's about the human impact that this is having on people overseas. And Gus has a really, you know, solid point and other people, you know, let's not make it all about Gus, but other people saying it's the International Rugby League's responsibility to develop, you know, uh, a global framework for, you know, developing officials, match officials and and, um, and coaches, which which it is. But for the past five years, it's been this, you know, I'm not, I don't know if you're going to have to bleep this out, but <laughs> it's a big swinging dick contest between do we adopt the RFL model Do we adopt the NRL model? You know, as in, does everyone become an accredited NRL ref? Does everyone become accredited RFL? And they're sorting that out. Um, It's getting close, but it's been, you know, more than five years of this big argument about who do we adopt? And in the meantime, everyone is just stagnating. People are getting older. They're spending time away from their kids, their wives. Um, It's hurting them financially, and this is this is the real cost and the real thing that. That makes me angry. At the end of the day, the, the reason I wanted to start Latin American Rugby League was partly about rugby league, but was hugely about forming um, relationships between our nation and the developing world, and about making better life opportunities for people, and about friendship circles. And they're the three things that are really, really suffering at the moment. Like I've got. You know, we, we lost a, a huge friend in Carlos Varela from Argentina a few yeah. years ago. Yeah. Because he got jack of it all and just walked away and said, I'm going to Global Rugby League because you guys are not supporting me. And that's not just a, a massive country gone in Argentina, it's a friendship that we all had for years and years. And now, where I can see where we're heading at the moment is a lot more of my friends that I've been working with for years are starting to see us middle people as totally ineffective because we can't get the big boys, whether it's from the RFL or the NRL, to agree and do things. So they're all going to get frustrated at someone and we're the only ones that spend face time with them. So yeah, who, who's it going to be? It's going to be us. So, yeah, again, it's, it's not about money. It's not about power. It's, it's the human relationships that are in front of us right now.
0: There's so many things I want to unpack, Rob. Like I remember that happening with Carlos Ferre and that was huge. I remember it being a massive thing and I remember how much it hurt you. As well, because he was a friend, and, and it was a massive thing, and we can maybe dig deeper into that another time. But um, uh, the, where do I start? So, the the thing with the NRL for me is the contradictions. So, um, oh, it's up to the IRL to organise co- uh, coaching and refereeing and blah 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 blah. Yet, you know, the NRL will change the rules to their competition dramatically in round ten of the season, and then everyone mm. else just has to follow it's like, okay, how, how is the IRL meant to keep up with that? And, and does every competition in the world need to do what you're doing? And, and what the, I guess the problem is the rest of the world has followed along in the, in most recent times because of the power the NRL has, but it's contradictions like that, that annoy me, like are Tonga important or are they not, you know, is mm. New, is New South Wales more important than Tonga? One minute it is, one minute it isn't, and it's the NRL that dictates, depending on, you know, how much money they make from each game, and and it's that sort of thing. I feel like, and I don't think it's anyone's fault in particular. It's just the way um, the beast has needed to grow and the way it earns at the moment. It's just dictated decisions that are made because, I, look, I know, I know, we've, I know, it's been a difficult time in the world over the last couple of years, but you know, we had to somehow get. Tonga versus New Zealand happening somehow some way over the last year or two surely like I just don't understand how we're not building that up as big a state of origin like it it can be that and I don't understand why the NRL doesn't see that because it's another cash cow for them potentially but they're not doing it for some reason but I feel yeah. for I feel for the middleman as you said and the thing that concerns me the most just speaking to you now is you know, that guy from Ch- in the middle of Chile earning five grand a year who needs to put together a document from scratch that he could get emailed to him from the NRL, you know, with you as a middleman, the NRL doesn't know he exists. The NRL doesn't know the potential there. And I just sort of wonder, you know, are we doing enough as a community, as a small international rugby league community, to make ourselves known to the NRL? Like, How do we do that? What do we need to do?
1: Yeah, I think yeah, promotion can certainly be be better from everyone. And there's, it's, again, it comes down to time time, and connections. Um, and that's something we, we don't all have the ability to appear on a TV show or to walk into a boardroom and make our voice heard. For some of us, it's just a succession of emails over years and years being ignored or sending invites to people to come to your games and never hearing back from them. Yeah. Um, and that's your interaction.
0: I just, I... I've watched a couple of Brazilian rugby league games this year, obviously, mate, as you know. And um, just the vibe and the flavour that your boys bring to the occasion is just, on both occasions, I've just sat there thinking, imagine we had, like, just one Brazilian player at NRL level. Like, just imagine how crazy that would be. And if that nation which I know you guys will be there one day, man, because of the work that you're doing and probably in the women's game quicker than the men's, but the flavour that a Brazilian team can bring to an international rugby league competition is insane and you can multiply that, you know, dozens of times over with other nations as well. well
1: mate, you you were there at the, the game Brazil versus Philippines yeah. and, you know, I've, I've run like plenty of events over the years and some have been really enjoyable and some have been, you know, hit and miss where we haven't quite got it right. But I felt that that game, Brazil versus Philippines as an event, was just, was so enjoyable. I know that if I went there as a neutral, I would have had a great time. And I think, take away the Brazil side of it so that, you know, I'm not invested in this. But even the Philippines, like yeah. what potential the Philippines have, you know, hugely populous country as well. That's pretty much on our doorstep You've got someone in the NRL like Payne Haas. They've had 12 NRL players come out of the, the Philippines or with Filipino heritage. Yeah. So, um, you know, an example from that is I sent invites to that game to a whole bunch of people from the NRL. We specifically had it at Kensington because we knew that it was close to NRL headquarters. Yeah. And there was no other games in Sydney on that day on the eastern suburbs. Yeah. So our hope was to have people come down experience that vibe see that we're not you know make believe blokes that you know are just flying around you know making up stories about what's going on and they would have loved it they would have had such an enjoyable day but i heard back from one person from the NRL and they said they couldn't come and wow. then i wrote to them and said oh okay so you know you, you you couldn't come but how about we sit down and have that chat about NRL streaming overseas then i didn't get a reply to that so you know it's, just, just the really small things. He could have said, "Yeah, let's let's have a coffee," or you know, just continued it somehow. But it's continual
0: brick walls. Just to back you up on that as well, you know, because of where it was, you had a lot of, you did have a lot of um, impartial sort of fans that just came to for the footy, and they were blown away. The amount of people that spoke to me that day, or messaged me, DM'd me, emailed me over the next week, saying, "When is the next one of these happening?" because I want to go to that as well. Or people that missed out and they saw our vlog, when is the next one of these happening? Because I want to go to that. Like, when is it happening in Sydney again? Um, insane. And and the other thing that's insane is to think that, you know, the NRL... when So the NRL take a lot of credit or demand a lot of credit for um, the growing game in the Pacific. And there's some great things happening there. And whether it's all NRL... Doing the work, the heavy lifting, or if it's the Asia Pacific Rugby League doing the heavy lifting, who it is more likely than other, or if it's the Australian government offering grants to things like Caviti Silktails and and PNG Hunters, um, whoever's you know the NRL takes a lot of that credit, right? Mm. Or they or all the the general rugby league community just assumes that it's the NRL doing the heavy lifting. I should I should reword that because I don't want to sound like you know the NRL's taking credit for it. Um, but they seem to focus a lot on Pacific Islands, which is great, you know, and there's a lot of great rugby talent in Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, Papua New Guinea and a lot of that is channeling over to to rugby league, which is fantastic to see and, and it's great because they they're, they're kind of, especially the Fijians, they got a chance to be more explosive in rugby league than they do in rugby union. I believe it's much more entertaining to watch from my perspective anyway and this, again, it's probably more opportunities for them to, to make it from their, from their small islands and small villages, and it's just fantastic to see. Mm. But, you know, to me, the NRL's only interest is pathways. They want to see more Marcus Sivos in the NRL. They want to see more Justin Ollums because it makes their competition stronger, and that's fine. The, I have no issue with that. Like, I have no issue with the NRL, you know, prioritizing the NRL. That's their job. Um, but it just makes me wonder, you know, they focus so much on, um, and this was another point you made, they focus so much on an area with a population of about three and a half to 4 million people in total. And that's the islands and that's excluding Papua New Guinea, New Zealand, et cetera. But Mm. that's the Pacific islands. When, you know, the nations you've, the two nations you just mentioned, Brazil and Philippines, what's the, um, combined population of those two nations again? Uh,
1: it would be between three hundred and twenty and three hundred and forty million, I think.
0: So insane! So, like, so you just need a, a small percentage of those populations to, you know, find the sport, play the sport, watch the sport, and you're smothering the Pacific. And there are some athletes there as well. Like,
1: and I think we discussed before when when rugby league was on free to air sport yeah. in um, in Brazil, it was in the top six watched nations in the world for rugby league and there was zero groundwork being done. So with no base, it suddenly had astronomical numbers. So imagine what you could do with five years of concerted effort there.
0: And that's one thing the NRL can do. So we're not, I don't think we don't ask like, we're not asking the NRL for money or attention or whatever, but we just want them to like, there's some things the NRL could do like streaming, which you've already touched on. And I'd like to dig a little bit deeper into by giving away streaming for even a short period of time to nations that wouldn't know rugby league exists anyway so wouldn't pay for it, is such a small thing for them to do and could potentially have such huge benefits not only for the NRL but for rugby league as a sport globally.
1: Yeah. and I've been through multiple, multiple models of how we could do this in a way that doesn't hurt the NRL yep. um, and still is able to provide something at a value. Um, and I think the best way is if you, you copy what, you know, PlayStation, Xbox have done yeah. in that you link your pricing to what the annual wage is there. So you're not giving away for free. Yeah. And then people say, oh, you can get around that by with a VPN, but you can't if it has to be linked to a credit card in that country. And then that has to match, you know, where you're trying to access from. There's, you know, if, if those networks can do it, um, then so can we. and. All you're saying is, you know, instead of basically in somewhere we say like Brazil, instead of it being twenty dollars a week to access NRL live pass, um, which I think it is if you get it as a one off, then maybe it's it's six dollars or whatever percentage of you know their weekly wage it, it needs to be. And not only are you building a little bit of money in the kitty and spreading the, the word, which I mean the exposure is really the valuable part. But also what you're doing is capturing data there. So you're finding out how many people are interested. What are their names? Where do they live? You know, can we expose them to merchandise? Can we expose them to other things that are going to help us long term? But at the moment, our solution seems to be let's just advertise to expats at full price and take what we want because it's too hard to modify our pricing for everyone. And we're we're learning zero data about the rest of the world.
0: Yeah. It's almost as if, you know, as a sport in Australia, we've been too busy picking up the scraps and fighting amongst ourselves since the Super League War and and trying to sort of get out of those shadows and finally, you know, being one of the big players again in Australian sport. And it's like, okay, we're done. <laughs> we're not like, there's no what next. And I just, I don't know, it's, it's a strange one for me because I just see mm. so much potential.
1: I think probably... One thing I want to go back to, we're talking about the Pacific Islands. You know, some of my friends that have worked really hard in the Pacific Islands or people from Pacific Island background, you know, got in touch and they were upset saying, you know, why do you want to take something away from us? And that's that's not it at all. It's saying, like, at at the moment, it took the, you know, it took Pacific Islands about 80 years to get the deserved attention that they should be getting. Like, their potential has only been explored the last 20 to 25 years, but they've always been that. They've always had this physical capability, Yeah, they're only getting the attention. Now, what I'm saying is I don't want the rest of the world to have to wait 80 years. And if you're only getting 3% of the attention and only 3% of the people that work within the NRL know what's going on um, you know, in the Pacific, then I'd like 3% to know what's going on in Asia and 3% to know what's going on in South America. It's not that we have to take it away from those nations. It's that we should have an equitable consideration of each, each region.
0: Yep. Yep do you think do you think it comes down to dollars only for the NRL is that the only reason they'd make a decision are they just not prepared to make an investment if there isn't a guaranteed um, return almost immediately
1: yeah well, going back to a conversation before about the north versus south yeah you know i really have to think is are some of the things that they're doing on purpose yep. you know are are they purposely creating a much bigger rift than there was because <laughs> they're upset at the way that the board works now yep. in the IRL? Do they want to completely devalue and destabilize the sport so that they can take over with a minimum of ease and do what they like with the sport? Yep. Um, and I'd hate I'd hate that to be the case, but the more like non cooperation you get, the more you start to think that way.
0: I was <laughs> I wasn't sure if i should mention it myself because i've had this thought over the last couple of weeks as well it's and i've i've said it to a couple of people privately you know the conspiracy theory that you know the nrl was was talking earlier in the year about you know potentially investing or buying the super league so but if the super league died they wouldn't have to pay much or to to get in there and and you know potentially the same thing here so I don't want to make assumptions out loud, but it's pretty hard not to when again and we keep going again we keep going back to Gus Gould and I don't really want to keep doing that, but you know, he was very vocal about the NRL buying Super League and things mm-hmm. like that and he's now very vocal about this sort of stuff and it's like it's all a little too convenient for me. Anyway, we won't touch that too much more. Um, I'm sure people can make their own assumptions and, you know, we've probably just been deep in all of this stuff way too long to to really see it for what it is. But, um, mate, um, World Cup. Yeah. You're involved very heavily, obviously, in the Brazilian women's. Um, what are you hearing at the moment? Obviously, the whole discussion here in Australia or in the Australian media... Sort of played out for a couple of days, but then the NRL got shut down for a day, and we haven't heard about it since because there seem to be bigger issues for rugby league, in according to the Australian media. But what are you hearing in terms of is it going ahead or is it not going ahead uh, with or without NRL players?
1: Well, I'm not hearing a lot, and I mean the other thing is probably by the time the podcast comes out they we'll already know what's yeah what's happening. So I don't want to sound foolish in retrospect, but um. Yeah, it's been a it's been a bit quiet the last few days, you know, a week and a half ago I was very confident that yeah. it would go ahead um without the um without the superpowers and I think you know that the word watershed has been used by a lot of people behind the scenes as to if we don't develop an economic model or events that have value connected to them that don't involve Australia and New Zealand yep. when are we ever going to do that and so we we'll, we will dance to their tune for an eternity, if it if someone doesn't bite the bullet one day, and hold events without them, and start to build a calendar that doesn't rely particularly on their involvement, um, and I all I thought everyone was was you know boots in for that approach, but the last you know the last few days, especially since the NRL statement's been been very quiet, um, and I haven't gone I haven't gone digging too deeply for the answer either, probably because of, you know I'm afraid of what I might find. Yeah. So, that's where I sit at the moment. But I was I was speaking to a a, a good friend of yours before, Philip Brown, about yep. um, you know just some some jerseys, like getting in jerseys, and and I said to him, mate, it really depends on what happens with the World Cup. And yep. I've honestly had around a dozen conversations today that have all ended with the phrase, you know, I I don't know what happens until I know what's going on with the World Cup, and that's you know that can be in relation to. Me deciding whether I'm selling my car, whether my wife wants us to buy a dog, um, whether the the nations of Latin America are going to play a championship early next year, you know, for eventual World Cup qualification for the next cycle, when the Americas nines are on. Pretty much, you know, anything you can think about in our lives at the moment revolves around when is the World Cup on.
0: I had uh, an argument a few months ago with my wife, which I don't think she'll mind me saying. We, uh, cause we booked a holiday and it probably <laughs> won't matter now cause we've been in lockdown for so long and who knows how long it's going to go for. But basically she originally booked this holiday, uh, for the same and it, and it fell on this, the last week of the world cup. Yeah. And <laughs> at the time I was like, so what I haven't shared before is that, um, myself and a few others. So, um, the NRL outsider, uh, Mike and Mary Kay ladies who league, the three of us were, um, approached about hosting, uh, an official World Cup podcast in the lead up to the event and covering nice. the event day by day. Um, and that sort of all fell apart because of everything that's going on and that's fine. These things happen, but. I had this argument with my wife because I'm like, no, you have to change the date because I could be working that week. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And and so we ended up changing the date, and it doesn't matter now potentially anyway. So, but um, you're right yeah, about you know to
1: to give other people an example. Like, well, we were honestly talking about selling a house a couple of months ago, and yeah, yeah, you know, obviously that's a very big conversation. There were some what we we term lively discussions around that, um, based on you know, where we were going to be, what was happening with things. And and we've now had probably extended deadlines, it feels like 15, 20 times at the World Cup. So yeah. um, thankfully, you know, we've decided we're, we're not going to sell, but they're, they're the extent that people are making decisions or, yeah. you know, this is going to affect their lives. And I'm just one person out of thousands that are, you know, connected to this.
0: But just back to a thing you were saying before as well, um, Rob, And I know the answer to this question, but I want the listeners to know as well, with the Brazilian women's side going to the World Cup, how many of those players were from an Australian system? Zero. Exactly, right? And that's such an important answer because you guys can go no matter what. (laughs) And for Brazil to be in a position to do that is quite incredible because there was no Brazilian women's rugby league side two years ago, three years ago. Um, so, you know, hats off, you know, because you've, you've realized very quickly you need to do it with people within and you can't rely on, on the others. And you probably learnt that lesson from experience through Latin heat and other things as well. Um, I've had conversations with others from a few other nations and I won't name names yet, but you know, there are other nations who've said, you know, look, if we can't get our NRL players, uh, we've got players you know, based in Europe or from domestically and whatever, and we'll be able to make up the numbers for a World Cup. Like, of course, people are going to want to play. Um,
1: yeah. And I'm and the Aussie face to that Brazil thing too. Like, the, the the thing is, we got people like Hugo Throwers and Gilberto Throwers over yep, in Brazil. Yeah. And, like, you know, Gilberto put off his, his finishing his law degree. He worked for the government. Um, Hugo had a similar job, and he's now taken up, like, a minor job basically cleaning a park so that they could devote their whole time to getting Brazil Rugby League into a position where it was, you know, entirely self-developed yeah. and they were building a strong base. And, you know, it's it's fine for me and you to sit here and chat about the difficulties that we're experiencing. But those guys, it's it's all-consuming. This is going to totally change their lives. Same with many of the players. And that's again, goes back to what hurts me when people are so dismissive about yeah. the overseas games. this really affects people on a personal level
0: but not only like people don't realize as well and within the nrl they don't realize that um and your, your average nrl fan wouldn't even realize but by postponing or canceling this world cup you're not just you know taking a, a chance for jason Taumalolo to represent tonga a few more times away or for teddy to captain australia away or whatever like those guys that you've just mentioned they might say fuck it then like, we're not going to wait another four years for this and it might not even happen again. Like, fuck this. Why are we doing oh, this?
1: <laughs> yeah. prime, prime example, like our players, we rock up and say, you know, we've got these coaching materials that we've met, been able to build from scratch. Um, but then, you know, they might need to want to go on to a level two. And then we say, well, we don't have them available yet because we've got to translate and write and document everything into Portuguese. And then they'll be like, they'd look at you like, yeah, sure. You know, you, you haven't done that because you're lazy. Or, you know... We tell them the rules and then suddenly the NRL and the IRL change the rules mid season and you go back and they're like, You told us the wrong rules yeah. And now we've we've made them give up, you know, their family, their holidays, their loved ones, so they could train for this World Cup and then we're gonna go back and say to them, Oh, that World Cup's not happening. Yeah. They're gonna think, What a joke of a sport and what a joke are these people that have been, you know, convincing me to do this for the last however many years.
0: Yeah. They they can just go and uh, play rugby sevens and be in the Olympics, or or at least try to. You know what I mean. They know that's going to happen every four years, mm. or every five years, or three years, depending on situations. With you know, uh, and
1: the, the other thing, some of them will be lost to sport altogether. Yeah.
0: they'll they'll go and not have as
1: as healthy lives. Yeah, as they do now. Uh,
0: how do we rely less on the NRL? What else can other people be doing?
1: <sighs> oh well. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, that's a, a million-dollar question, is it? But, I, yeah, I think um, it, it comes down to, again, building events and capability that doesn't rely on the NRL. Um, and, you know, one of the bizarre things that – well, not bizarre, but ways I hadn't thought at all until the last couple of days was I've always supported our the grandparent heritage system in rugby league. I thought it was a great system. Yep. But if we went back to parent, that would take so much power away from the NRL and its ability to stop events. Um, you know, is is that something that we look at? Do we need to look at changing the rules so that one or two countries cannot block international events from taking place? Yeah. Um, and I probably don't want to see that because I think it's important people have a connection to their grandparents. And I think the system's worked well when everyone's been cooperative in the past. Yeah. But we gotta fight fire with fire sometimes.
0: It is hard and you know, if that if a decision was like that was made, then what does it mean for the future as well? Mm. You know, I know myself, um I'm I'm I would qualify for Italy under the grandparent rule, but not under the parent rule. My parents were born here in yep. Australia. And I would have been so I I was never good enough to play at that level, but I would have been so proud to represent Italy if I could mm. in rugby league. And, um, to, to know that I couldn't do that, it's a, it's a big deal. And and you, so the things we spoke about earlier on about the guys that could give back at the end of their careers, you know, we might lose some of those, those guys and girls as well. So, but it's a tricky one and it's sort of the extent that we need to think. I like, I I do like the idea of, you know, creating events that, that don't rely on, on the Aussie dollars. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's so tricky. Like, I mean, I look at um a good example is some of these American teams, right? So Cleveland Rugby League, for example, like getting so much traction, um, online and but a lot of that traction is from Australia and UK and and you know Monty Gattis put up a, a a little, um, a little uh, uh what's it called one of those vo- uh, what's it called I'm losing, losing my words, um but you could vote on sort of on Twitter where you supported from where you support yeah. where you followed along from, and you know. High, high, high percentage was Australia and mm-hmm. then after that was UK and then after that might have been New Zealand or something like that and then finally, you know, towards the bottom of that list was the US and we've got it the wrong way around. Like we need to figure out, we need to figure out how do Americans support Cleveland, you know, how do yeah. more Brazilians get involved? Like how do we get to a stage where, you know, an America's championship between US, Canada, Jamaica, Brazil, Chile, Columbia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, becomes financially viable um, and us regular NRL fans don't even know about it or know that it's on or, you know, hear about it on the news after the cool. fact.
1: I, I don't think it's it's pie-in-the-sky stuff, though, because when, when we first started, like, Latin Heat, I would say 75% of the people that supported our channels, you know, and then we're talking in the, in the thousands, were from Australia mainly.
0: Yeah,
1: and now it's, it's complete opposite. Like in Brazil, I know it's probably 12 percent of the followers for Brazil rugby league on social media are from Australia. Yeah, wow. so it just takes that. It takes that five years plus of continual work on the ground to, to you know, and development and marketing within your sphere. But it can happen. It's not. It's not something that we're just dreaming about.
0: And. That goes back again to the time and effort, you know, If and, you know, I sort of mentioned with the NRL, if they're not going to put a dollar in and take a dollar out at least that day, <laughs> then they don't really want to do it, but maybe this is where International Rugby League can step in and International Rugby League, you know, and you alluded to it as well and, and I remember it being a basket case, you know, it really has and it was a joke and it's it still has that stigma um, with most fans, but you know, once upon a time, there was probably one or two staff members at IRL and now they're a bigger team and now they have a larger jurisdiction and they're making a little bit and they've got more, more nations playing than ever before and they're signing up more members and all that sort of thing. So things are certainly changing and, and really when you look at it, things have probably never been better on that level for international rugby league. Like there's just more nations and, and eyeballs and things like that. So, which is fantastic. Um, but maybe it's up to the IRL now to sort of say, okay, let's look at what we've got without Australia, and New Zealand, and let's and let's look at what we can do. And whilst we can't give Brazil hundred thousand dollars, like how do we nurture this little group, uh, this little niche market that we're growing, and how do we make it bigger? And how do we let you know all the young boys and girls who probably don't have the build for soccer but might have the build for footy? How do we get them on board? And how do we get them watching? And how do we create? a stronger domestic competition for them and 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 do that in a few nations. And it's hard for the IRL perspective because they've got, you know, they've got their 50 members or whatever it is now and everyone's saying, what about me? What about me? I need help. Everyone's got their hand out, but it sort of can't work that way, uh, which you've kind of alluded to as well.
1: Yeah, I think at, at this point I'd like to give a shout out to like a real unsung hero of International Rugby League, and you—you you probably come across him as well, Mike. And that's um, Steve Birchall. Yeah. So, like, for everyone out there, you—you know—the the person on the street would never have heard of Steve Birchall, but what he's given to the sport, yeah, completely freely and behind the scenes, and never with you know ego, is just immense. Like, he's—he's he's built websites for most of the developing nations. He's run, you know, international rugby league as Asia Pacific Rugby League websites. He's now. You know, he's he's brought it across now so that they're getting a, you know, a slow income from online advertising. Yeah. And things like that weren't occurring before. And this, you know, again, he does this all in the background and, and out of the goodness of his heart. And these are the kind of people that we need to keep in the sport because they've got great ideas. They've got great know-how of, of doing things. Um, but you can see people like Steve also get dismayed when what happens as we've seen in the last week. So we don't want those valuable people walking away
0: steve is a great example and he's one person that again you wouldn't the regular rugby league fan wouldn't know who he is right and but he like and i've asked him on the show before and he's like no no i'm just happy to sort of be here in the background doing my own thing and it's kind of like but he'll always be there to help oh do you need anything he, his first question to me is always can i help you with this or do you need do you need something here or let me know if you need anything he's one of those guys and there's a lot of those and Look, you're one of them too, guys. I, I feel like you're a bit of a, I remember growing up and reading the rugby league forums and going to the international section and, you know, there was this guy, Taz Bioteri, and we've mentioned him already and we've, we've, you know, spoken about him a little bit, but everyone in international rugby league circles or in the small niche international rugby league world knew who Taz was. But if you stepped outside of that circle, no one knew who he was. And I think mm. you're the next one of those, like everyone in international rugby league knows Rob Berger and the things he's done for Latin heat and what's going on in Brazil. But if you go to the guy next door who supports the Bulldogs, you go, uh, he goes, oh, Rob who? Like, you know what I mean? And it's just the selfless like work that you're putting in. And there's so many of those in our game, but you see them giving up. And I think that's one oh. of the good things I've seen this week is that we've all been very angry. Um, a lot of us have been anyway, but I've released a couple of pods recently talking about that and trying to get some things off my chest. And I think this episode will help as well. But there have been a lot of people uh, reaching out to me in the last week in particular, and they're saying one of two things. They're either saying, A, please don't give up, or B, I was going to give up, but then I listened to you and we can't give up now. Like, we have to keep going. And it's really reassuring to hear that. Even though we're a small community, uh, we're getting bigger, and I think we're getting better.
1: Yeah, and I, and again, while we've been you know firing off at people that we're angry about, um, it, it probably goes to say that it, I've had my f- you know disagreements over the years with with Kazanjian at IRL and with yeah. Jeremy Edwards with Southern Pacific with with, with Asia Pacific Rugby. League. Yeah, but the relationship we have now is so open. That I can go to those people and you know talk freely about the real concerns, and they know that I'm doing it from a good place. Um, I honestly think what we have had in international rugby league the, the system has improved a lot over the last five years. It can improve a hell of a lot more. But you know, think Jeremy will talk to all the emerging nations. We haven't always had that situation in the past with with previous people. Like he'll sit down and have a coffee with someone from. El Salvador or from Chile, etc. You know, Danny and others have tried to promote having more power, more independent directors of the IRL, so that we we have a say. Um, I don't think it's been entirely successful yet, and we've seen the pushing through of the rules this year from the NRL. Yeah, and then, and this probably is the one that you know I have to really, if we were to say something to Gus, is that why would you do that if you knew that the IRL couldn't effectively block that manoeuvre yeah. and you, you decrease the opportunity for 75% of nation's playing a sport to be able to pick it up and to compete. Yeah, I think that was the, the hugest example of NRL selfishness. Um, them changing the rules not only at their level but then pushing it through at higher levels.
0: The, the fact that the NRL can change any rule without at least consulting the guys at the Super League and the RFL is a joke. Like... It's a, it's an absolute joke and I've said it so many times and I just can't fathom that that can even happen in like, it's a different sport if you do that. And if everyone else doesn't follow along, then you've got two different sports and it's just ridiculous. And there's probably, it's one of the things that stops us from growing as well. And, And you know, that there's not, you can't pick up the ball in Australia or the UK or in Brazil or in Spain or in the Philippines or in Lebanon or whatever. And it's exactly the same game. It's really sad. And it's, you know, the NRL just shouldn't be able to do that.
1: Yeah. I mean, they could, if they would need to do it with their own product, at the end of the day, it's their own product. But yeah. there should be consideration of what that, what the flow on effect is for everyone else. Um, so- Around the world, and really, was it was it that broken before?
0: Yeah, yeah. Is there anything like? Can everyone work together? Can the NRL have a seat at the table without wanting to sit at the head of the table, or can it be a round table with everyone there? Like, <laughs> is, am I? Is this a utopia that I'm dreaming about that isn't possible?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think it's yeah. I think it's, it's always possible. I hate to shut myself off to the opportunity that everyone could cooperate and and sometimes it does take a bit of a a leveler for everyone to sit back and say, well, you know, we're really all here to enjoy the same sport. We have so much potential if we pull in the same direction. Um, But, you know, another thing that I wrote on Twitter was, was my wife waking up the other day to the news and she, (laughs) she genuinely turned and said to me, she's born in Brazil, had never heard of rugby league before she moved to Australia. And she just said, like, what, what is rugby league doing? Like, she, was, she played representative handball as a junior. And she said, you know, handball, volleyball, we're not even like huge sports. We're known around the world and we still make sacrifices to grow. And she's like, I just really don't know what rugby league's trying to achieve. And she, she loves the sport.
0: Can I read it? Because I wrote this down, your tweet. I'm glad <laughs> yeah. you mentioned it. But you said, my wife, in brackets, Brazilian born, just said these exact words to me. What is rugby league trying to achieve? It's not even that big of a sport. Handball, volleyball, people play it around the world and still they make sacrifices to grow. I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then the, you know, another tweet I saw last night that I can't repeat verbatim was from someone and they just said, you know, what's happening to other international nations? The NRL do not give an F. Like, and that... Is pretty pretty accurate. Like this, it's so self-consumed at the moment that we're just shutting everyone else out. And I don't think it needs to be like that. It's yeah, prioritize your own competition, but everyone in the world should have some consideration for other people, whether that's in sport or in your everyday life. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't think it's asking for a lot to ask for for empathy and cooperation.
0: Yeah, hundred percent, man. Mm. Um, look, I. Um, I think we. Uh, I think we've probably set our fair share. There's probably if we if we brainstormed with enough people, we could probably figure out the answers. But we, we the NRO will just tell us to fuck off anyway. So it doesn't really matter. But um, what, is there <laughs> Rob? Is there anything else um you need to get off your chest before we um before we call call this episode or we wrap this one up?
1: No, I just yeah, I want the people at the head of the table to all come together and put aside past regional differences and for all of us to take a step back when we're just being self-obsessed and, and see what else and um yeah I thought, hope everyone um, gets to see a world cup that's probably the big thing
0: 100% man I hope we get to see it I want to see the Brazilian girls out there and I don't care if it's like a, a bunch of domestic Tongans there for Tonga Rather than that, the Jason, that's Tomlis. what the World Cup
1: used to be. Yeah, so.
0: I, I kind of prefer that in a way. So let's let's see that. Let's do that. And Rob, mate, I couldn't have said it better myself. When I I like I wanted to get some things off my chest and talk about this stuff, and I'm like, there's no one I rather do it with. So thank you for, well, uh, for mate, chasing kangaroos with me, mate.
1: Yeah, well, one of the things that just sort of reminded me, as you said, that is, if you go through the list of the people who reshared that post that I I did about my experiences with international development in the NRL whether that's on LinkedIn and, you know, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, so many of those people were involved in rugby league through the state of origin players, through the heads of nations and, like, you know, countries that have made the semifinals and quarterfinals at World Cups, um, probably dozens of emerging nations. So um, the sentiment is there is not to destroy rugby league, but obviously it's felt widely that we're at a point where things need to change.
0: 100%, mate. hmm Cheers, Cheers, mate. (laughs) See you later. See ya. Chasing kangaroos is brought to you by Matt Haynes Sport. We are mixed and produced by Paul Murchison. Our theme music was written and recorded by Ash Barco and Ricky Cansino. The podcast is hosted by me, Michael Carboni, and The Biggest Tiger. Views are our own.